यू आर लिसनिंग टू अमिंट प्रोडक्शन प्रॉट यू बाय एच टी स्मार्ट कास्ट Hello and welcome to our continuing series ahead of the union budget. Even as the last few quarters have been marked by an economic slowdown, a standout and startling feature has been the rise in unemployment figures, a problem that's been bubbling for many quarters now for the Indian economic landscape and indeed for people stepping out to work. At one point at the at the brink or the crux of the lockdown in April, we actually had a staggering 122 million people who were out of a job. that situation has recovered but it hasn't recovered enough clearly not in the informal economy it looks like the finance minister is going to address jobs in her upcoming budget speech she has made indications to that effect but what kind of pragmatic steps can she take and how deep does the jobs crisis run joining me to talk about that are people who have an eagle eye view both of what's happening in the formal sector and what's happening in the informal sector daily wage laborers who subsist on daily wages and on daily jobs so let me introduce what is looking like a panel that's going to add a lot of insight to this subject manish sabarwal who's chairman and co-founder of team lease services rosa abram who's research fellow at the azim premji university Jyotsna Chha who's director for the Center for Budget and Policy Studies and Ashutosh Gupta who's country manager India for LinkedIn. Welcome all of you to the show and thank you for joining in. Um Dr. Chha if I may start with you what I'd like to do uh, first is a little bit of a jobs audit in terms of what we promised to do last year and how much ground we have managed to cover for ourselves. In the previous union budget where interestingly the theme was also jobs and education and health more than 2.6 62 lakh jobs were to be created between March 2019 and March 2021 um a bulk of them were to come from policing some amount from the defense ministry the home ministry etc how much ground have we covered in terms of you know the jobs that were intended to be promised or allocated so far Dr Jha the question is for you and you need to unmute yourself please i'm sorry mitali i couldn't hear your question there was some technical yeah okay let me repeat, Can you repeat it, it please Yeah I wanted to do uh, an audit of sorts with you Dr Jha in terms of how much ground we've covered on the promises that were made on the jobs front last year in the union budget versus where we stand at today I mean the overall figure including police etc other verticals was that 2.62 lakh jobs will be created from that budget going into 2021 um where have we reached so far you think well i think uh, uh, in any case the way this year has been because of the covid-19 the pandemic it's it's not fair to expect whatever was predicted whatever was uh, <clears throat> uh, planned for this year's budget would hold true so that is that's a different point so i think we uh, need not examine this year's progress from the perspective of what was said in the last year's budget we need to examine it uh from the perspective of how the responses happened to what we faced so it's a shock so we <clears throat> so when we experience a shock 
the uh, you know the assessment has to be based on how we responded to that and how are we going to respond to the uh, through the coming budget and there i think so far we have uh, uh, different state governments it's not only the union government that has to respond different state governments has responded differently and uh, yet i would say and they are still grappling with the whole issue this year's budget is going to be the test how uh, the job and and the income losses are going to be uh, recovered but i think the more important thing is that it's not only the job loss much more than the job loss has been the income loss so a large number of people who are you know who have come back to employment are earning much less and the impact on the both the economy and the well being is going to be severe it's already severe and it is both in the short and the long run and therefore we have to respond to that so that's a far more important issue now okay uh, let me try and approach this another way then rosa and let me reach out to you for that which is to understand as dr chha said what the here and now looks like in terms of the situation for jobs the data that we frequently turn to is what is documented by cmi which also pointed out that it was extremely grim in april then we saw a sharp recovery between september and going into december what we've actually seen is that numbers are beginning to slip again and the unemployment rate is actually rising what do you pick up from your studies and from you know the on ground reports that you're getting um so yeah what we look at and we essentially looked at cmi because that's the only sort of large scale nationally representative data that's available what we find is just in terms of numbers when we look at data uh, in december which is your pre lockdown period we look at what happened in april which is in the you know heart of the lockdown and then we looked at what happened in august because these are time points for which we have cmi data available now if you look at between december and august you would you would find that there's almost a recovery in the sense that 90% of men who were working in december have have come back into work so just pure employment status they are back at work and we find um, also that you know for women however we do not find this kind of recovery we find that about 60% of women who were working in december were not able to come back into work by august so you have this sort of gender differential in terms of recovery the other thing that we saw see is also not just that well men have come back into the workforce and the unemployment rate if you just compare pre lockdown and post lockdown are almost the same now but you find that there's huge transitions in the kind of work that people are engaged in so most people who are, have moved into kind of informal work large largely self employment and alongside that there's they've taken a huge income cut as a professor jar due to too so there's income loss ranging between 10% to 50% uh, in 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 the rate of in the rate of loss of income uh, and also a huge sink employment that's taking place because most people can't afford to stay unemployed there is no other so social security benefits that they have so recovery has meant that people have come back but they've come back in sort of uh, more precarious employment arrangements hmm. Let me pivot from the informal to the formal space, Mr. Sabagwad. You and I have spoken through the course of the last few months on how trends were looking. Um, as we step into next year, and more importantly, the budget, how would you describe the situation in the formal workspace? As also to buttress the point that's been made about falling incomes, which I think uh, was reflected in an ILO report as well, where formal workers' wages had fallen close to four percent, which is higher, uh, you know, than many other developing countries. But what is it that you see going into twenty twenty one? 
I mean, I'd be careful with the disease called presentism, right? You know, historians warn about this belief that today's circumstances are special, unique, or unprecedented, because what COVID has really exposed is the pre-existing conditions of the Indian economy. Our problem has never been jobs. It's always been wages, right? I mean, unemployment has been stuck between 5 and 9% since independence. So we can get excited between 5 going to 9 or 9 going to 5, but um, poverty is, is a bigger problem, right? So I to make the case that, you know, let's be careful with sort of thinking about, you know, COVID as sort of climate change. It's a passing shower. But it just reminds us that um, our problem have always been wages. They haven't been jobs. And unemployment, I think, is the wrong metric. I, I'm not particularly um, enamored by the CMI data. I don't think it's fully representative. I don't think it's fully rigorous. But um, I would submit that labor market data also is a pre-existing condition of the Indian economy. We've debated that over the last four or five years. So I would just submit that in a year like this, there's a three lakh crore shortfall in GST. There's a three lakh crore shortfall in income tax. And there's probably three lakh crores of new bad loans in, a, in, in all scenarios. So I think if we can't, and, and you know, the central bu budget is only 29 lakh crores. Actually, states have a 34 lakh crore budget now, which is more than the central government. So I think that the formal economy has come back in pockets, but the data is too noisy right now. I, I think we should be very careful with either um, pessimism or optimism. We don't have enough information about the labor market to conclude. But if you look at high frequency indicators, I mean, and, uh, and they are again controversial, is that the recovery is happening. And there are things that the budget can do, but any expectations from the budget for money in a year like this would be quite sort of misplaced, if not sort of impossible. Mm. Dr. Chai, do you want to respond to that in terms of whether you think this is something we have seen before? I mean, double-digit employment figures, unemployment figures, I beg your pardon, especially for the key category of the working youth. Gender, as Rosa pointed out, has been battered really hard. In fact, if you look at, uh, you know, amongst urban women, it's actually down 23% the number of women coming back into the workforce. Uh, is this a, a passing shower? Would you agree? I would actually say that uh, uh, despite it's not about the proportion of the budget that, that is there in, in, in the entire economy. It's about what direction you give to uh, through using your budget. So it's not about how much money uh, public spending brings. It's also about how that money is being spent and, and what are you trying to push? What are you trying to enable? And there I would say the kind of things that we are seeing, it's not about unprecedented. It's about that even if it's precedented, what you are facing is actually something very serious. And, and serious, it's not only, again, because of the size, but it's happening to whom? It's happening to those who are already most, uh, were living in a most precarious, as, as Rosa said. So that, that's, and that has become much worse. So in, an, in a very highly unequal, and not only economically, but also socially unequal society, when these things happen, then it has like inequalities within inequalities. And that's something we are seeing very clearly. See, data in terms of precision is yet to come, true. But data in terms of direction is very clear. And, and you can see it state after state, wherever you go to. Like we, I'm talking of also through our research and it's like any kind of research that you do, when you are in the field, you sense what's happening. So what is what you can see that there has been severe economic loss, uh, employment loss, much worse is income loss, 
much worse that is for women much worse for those who were already in precarious employment and it's again it's not about employment it's the nature of employment also where is the social security what you are saying is a flight from private schools uh, uh, um, out so if you have to bring those kids back if you have to bring those young women and men back in the fold of education you have to invest in education and and you know it's it's again not about a uh, uh, old school socialist idea it's very much an economically sound idea look at europe europe has thrived because of investment in public the capitalist europe has thrived because of investment in public education and public health and i think it's time to do that not only because of the well-being effect but also because of the employment effect we just uh, have completed a multiplier based study very very difficult input output model and social matrix and we found that income multiplier of of public spending on health and education is not as much as manufacturing and fair enough i mean that's a known thing but employment multiplier is very high and that's where you know that if you are spending on these public money if it's being spent on this in the short run it will create employment and it will also give money in the hands of those who are spending usual i mean this is something that a large number of economists are talking about and that way it will also create demand for your goods what we are finding that you know even even those things which which are being produced for example we were in chatisgarh last week mining it hasn't suffered badly because of production loss but it's it's suffering because of the demand loss power it's suffering because of the uh, uh, loss in industrial demand domestic yeah. demand may have gone up so you know so you have to uh, uh, pay attention to that so you have yeah. to see the, the entire circular flow of the economy keep the well being in mind keep the employment in mind and keep the, the section which is which is uh, at the lowest end in mind mm. decide what you spend in your budgets ashutosh i turn to you which is a small but uh, important universe because perhaps it re- it reflects the best in terms of skills and also the youth category uh, what did you see happen through the course of these few months at linkedin and i just like to sort of contextualize my question with some of our findings at the u government and cpr millennial survey where we found across 10000 respondents that young workers were actually hit hardest by the spate of layoffs that occurred in the wake of the pandemic uh, what is it that you saw happen in terms of trends particularly for the youth uh, so uh, i think there are a couple of things which were very evident when we looked at the linkedin data starting april uh, first of all online learning uh, literally got a shot in the arm and uh, we have not seen such kind of numbers ever on the platform right so we measure that in terms of number of hours spent on linkedin learning and that has grown 3x since april to december right so that's a significant uh, increase and the most important thing is in the recent survey we do a workplace confidence index survey so wci a uh, lot of our professionals shared that and 60% or 57% of them shared that they will continue learning at the same pace or increase the time spent on learning so that's significant so that's going into the next year it's not a short term blip it's not a short term trend people have realized uh, the value of learning and that was the first trend we saw very very evident in march in april when we went to the lockdown number 2 is uh, when we look at the future uh, we uh, along with microsoft we looked into our economic uh, 
uh, data, economic graph data, and that trend, and I've shied away from uh, saying it's a crystal broad trend, like it will happen, but I feel more confident now in December that digitization has got a huge acceleration, a huge shot in the arm uh, globally and even for Indian economy, right? Uh, we recently published a lot of uh, uh, early conversations with CHROs, with CEOs, uh, on the platform and all of them were talking about digitization in their respective sectors, be it manufacturing, be it retail, uh, of course, technology sector, right? So when in June, we launched a global skills initiative along with Microsoft and GitHub, uh, you know, we, uh, we wanted to uh, help uh, the professional workforce uh, reskill them on the digital skills because Digitization means a lot. There'll be a huge demand for digital skills, and that's something which we wanted the global workforce to get ready. Now, with the kind of numbers and all the panelists were sharing, right? Like there is a huge shock to the employment system, which happened in the April to June quarter. This is not something which will recover like in few months. This is a this is a long term work which we'll have to do together. But uh, I think uh, you know digitization demand for the uh, digital skills this is uh this is definitely something which will have to come together as a country and make some progress and i think infrastructure i mean there's so many dimensions to for sure. this but to your question coming back online learning and digitization are definitely two things which i saw very very clearly during the lockdown mm. Mr. Sabarwal, the problem also with an economic slowdown in a country like India is that it doesn't affect everyone in the same way. So larger companies have shown that they are quite nimble. There's been quite a bit of cost cutting, as you can see on their bottom line and profits that they've reported, uh, you know, in terms of their quarterly numbers. Equally, though, there have been a large number of small businesses that have had to down their shutters. Again, for the larger companies, being nimble does mean that you have greater cost cutting by way of layoffs. If these two large chunks of employment seem, uh, you know, like they have a question mark on them, who does the onus fall on in terms of creating some kind of larger employment mechanism or larger employment playground? So it's unclear to me that fiscal and monetary policy can do something in the short run, if that's what you're asking, right? We're already at 14% of GDP. I mean, I don't think we can be like Japan at 21% of GDP. And if, if fiscal deficits could make countries rich, then no country would be poor. And monetary policy, I'm on the RBI board. All we can do is offer you know, regulatory forbearance, lower interest rates, and give banks liquidity. And that has been done. So I think the COVID just reminds us that per capita GDP matters more than GDP at an individual level. We're four, fifth in the world in GDP, we're 138th in per capita. And at a corporate level, it reminds us that we may have 63 million enterprises, but we only have 22,500 companies with a paid up capital of more than 10 crores. So I think, again, I would just come back to, you know, this is a pre-existing condition. Credit to GDP ratio is 50%. It should be 100%. So all I'm saying is that we need structural reform financialization, urbanization, formalization, industrialization, and human capital. I have no disagreement with um, uh, investing more in human capital. And, and I mean, we haven't been able to fix government schools, so it's it's okay to say, put you know, you don't fix leaky pipes by turning up the water pressure. So my submission is that um, the policy window, you know, 
a timing problem and solution coming together, as we've seen in labor reform or agricultural reform, or maybe even if you think about um, the new education policy as connected, I would submit that's what the budget can do. We don't have fiscal flexibility. We don't have monetary policy flexibility. So let's offer structural reform and recognize that finally the problem is the productivity of our firms, of our individuals, and of our regions. And so I would be careful with overly expecting this budget to sort of spend 34 lakh crores or 35 lakh crores and sort of borrow six, seven lakh crores. The U.S. is fiscal deficit this year is more than our GDP. Now we can watch on that with envy, but I don't think a country like India could do that. So I would submit that there is pain in the short run. Some sacrifices have been made and are being made. Are they being made unequally? I mean, we can debate whether India needs 63 million enterprises. The U.S. economy is eight times our size and it only has 24 million enterprises. So, yes, I agree that there is a problem in MSMEs, but most MSMEs, out of 63 million enterprises, probably 30, 40 percent of them are not self-employment, they're self-exploitation. So we have to be careful on whether we want India to be less poor in the long run or whether we are in the ICU and I should not talk about people losing weight or quitting smoking. I mean, we've been in the ICU for a long time and my submission would be is that COVID has just reminded us of our problems. So let's be careful with saying we don't need to be fiscally prudent. We don't need to worry about NPAs and let's just spend our way out of this problem. I don't think India has that luxury, but I'd, I'd love to understand if people think we do. I mean, we are at 14% of GDP as fiscal deficit. Dr. Chad, do you think, uh, do you believe that's the way to approach this, to keep an eye on what kind of spending it may involve? Or do you believe that addressing the job situation is priority? And just to repeat my question to you as well, who does the onus of creating some kind of employment opportunities fall on? Equally, because, you know, so often you've heard the point saying that India doesn't have enough jobs. It needs more people to be self-employed, which is why the mudra scheme came about. Uh, are we stuck between a rock and a hard place where we don't know how to resolve this one? I do think, I I, I think fiscal prudence definitely got it. But on the name of fiscal prudence, uh, not taking responsibility uh, for the people at large and especially like half population is being completely irresponsible. Uh, so fiscal prudence cannot be the only um, office and not in even normal times actually. Uh, fiscal prudence is important. But what are you doing for that? You know, there are different... It's it's a simple, you know. If if even if you're a uh, if you're running a household, you know uh, that you have to have some kind of prudence. Your uh, uh, your debt ratio, you will not let it go. So it's 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 that that's understandable. But how do you do that? You know, fiscal prudence at what cost and through what measures? That is that is what it determines. That how do you spend? So I said it earlier also, and I'll be repeating it again, that where do you spend your money? Where do you, what do you achieve through that? And following the normal principles, what is it that is going to, and it's mm. both short, medium and long runs. So any, you know, you, you don't plan only for one year's budget. So you always plan for a long run, but it you also plan for a short run. And, and therefore, fiscal prudence only through expenditure cut is actually not a wise policy at all, even in normal times. So I'm not talking of this year alone. I would say how you spend, where you spend, where you see the largest 
potential for uh, uh, push to the economy alongside employment, alongside greater uh, uh, equality. So if you are, you know, pushing, if, if your money is going towards both growth and equality, that is much better than money going towards growth only. And that is also not happening. It's not that we are a fast growing economy anymore. And it's not the COVID. So uh, and even when you are talking of already existing, you know, uh, ailments that the economy had, it's important that we not don't talk only of so-called hardcore economic. Yes, you know, gender divide is not something that COVID has brought in, but yeah. women have suffered, are suffering actually much more. Uh, yeah. uh, urban, uh, rural, you know, even now, if you are looking at unemployment figures that CMI is releasing, the rural unemployments are much higher than urban. So what has happened that people even working in urban areas have now gone to rural and they are being reported as, as rural. So all the earlier concepts of disguised, uh, you know, employment and everything, I think one has to go back to and understand those much better. So mm. I think it's uh, important. Fiscal prudence is important. But how do you actually arrive at that prudence? How do you what are your policies? What are your choices are equally important? I do want to talk about youth and gender as specific pockets, but I think you've teed up my next question really well, Dr. Jha, which is to Rosa. Rosa, you know, I want to talk a little bit about the rural context of what's been happening, because for a long time, uh, that was the catch-all phrase, the fact that rural India was, you know, saving us, protecting us, holding us up. And really, the underlining over there is the Narega program. But if you scratch deeper and you look at what's happening in terms of, you know, the rural non-farm sector, it's not very vibrant. Even if you look at the data in terms of Narega, the number of applicants versus those who actually got some work uh, saw a big gap, as did the fact that many of them had already completed their 100 days of work. Uh, you know, draw out for us the picture in terms of how you see it on what's happening with rural India and what you think the pressure points are that will have to be addressed in terms of employment. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think what we saw at the very, you know, during the lockdown time was urban India doing better or doing worse off than rural India. And what was happening in rural India was really agriculture acting as a cushion. And a lot of people, you know, then becoming self-employed subsistence farmers in rural India. But then as we proceed into August, we find that this kind of uh, differential between urban and rural kind of narrowing, and we don't see that rural is any better off. What we see, again, with CMI data, but also corroborated by other data, is huge loss of incomes for farmers, as well as the, um, you know, the non-agricultural self-employed. So what we saw is, you know, you have teachers, you have um, pewns, uh, other daily wage workers moving into subsistence farming, but also then huge, facing huge income losses. So uh, even, so what this really calls for is expansion of what, Narega, as you said, was a huge safety net. So up until the time when the economy it can be revived, Narega, you know, there has been calls for improve, increasing the number of days under Narega, increasing the weight given under Narega. And then again, also in, at the urban level, also having some kind of an urban employment guarantee, which could also then support urban workers as well. So there is this need. I mean, and I, I just want to go back to this point of, you know, these are this is an exceptional situation. And these are kind of preying on existing fault lines that were there. But 
do we temporarily suture these fault lines or do we want to actually concretely address these gaps? And that's what we should be aiming at, not sort of temporarily fixing these uh, fault lines. I agree that there are fault lines but that have inherently been there. It's exacerbated during this crisis. Let's address that through these kind of support systems, social security benefits, which should exist not just outside, not just within the employment framework, but outside of the framework of employment as well. As citizens, individuals should be eligible for some kind of support and benefits from the state as citizens, it, whether it's in public services like health or education. And these are also employment generating programs as such, which could also further have multiplier effects. Mm. Like, uh, uh, there Jao has been some reference about. to what states can do in this context, Rosa. And I just wanted to, you know, uh, draw your thoughts on that in terms of what you're seeing in terms of trends, particularly in North India, where it seems like the unemployment situation was far more intense. We did have an announcement a couple of months back from the Uttar Pradesh government saying that they're going to provide at least 50 lakh youths with jobs till March 2021. Now, uh, Till Feb 2020, UP had about 34 lakh unemployment un, 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 unemployed people. There was a huge scale reverse migration that happened, of course, during COVID. Uh, do these figures seem likely? Do they seem doable for large states that are addled with an unemployment situation? Um, do they seem doable? I'm not sure. What is it? Is it again going back to the fiscal constraints? Um, again, I would echo Professor Jan saying that I think. So the fiscal deficits and the fiscal challenges is going to be globally faced by countries across. It's not going to be unique to India. And I think beyond the point, we need to look beyond that and also address the moral responsibility of the state to take into account these, these kind of um, struggles. And, you know, it's real issues of people not being able to eat and hunger of, of, of households. Um, so can states meet, meet these kind of demands? Uh, so even amongst... Um, like there are instances of uh, Jharkhand and UP and Kerala also having some kind of employment guarantee programs. They've announced increase in the uh, wages for employment guarantee. They are constrained again because of their resources. This was a Mint production brought to you by HD Smartcast. HD Smartcast.